Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 120 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Nikki Myers. I have had Nikki Myers on my list of potential guests for so long, and I'm so I'm so happy to have her on the podcast and to share this episode with you. Nikki is a yoga therapist. She's a somatic experiencing practitioner. She is a certified addiction recovery specialist. She has her MBA, and she is the founder of Y12SR, or the Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. And this organization was born out of her own personal struggle with addiction, which she talks through on the episode It combines the cognitive teachings of 12-step recovery with the somatic teachings of yoga. And again, you know, it was born out of her own experience and her own feeling that she needed both of these systems in order to prevent relapse. And so that's, that's what she does for thousands of other people. As I was preparing for this interview, I couldn't help but think about the opioid crisis. And I dug up this, this little something from the former director of health and human services who declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency in 2017. And he says, as we think about pain, we must not forget the types of pain that can hurt the most, but are often the hardest to treat. The pain of loneliness and despair, of feeling unloved or unvalued, the pain of living with a broken heart. And I was just really struck by that because I don't feel like it's something that often comes out of a government official. (laughs) first of all. And second of all, because I think it it sort of is emblematic of why yoga works so well for people because it can help people feel more integrated and, and just less alone and less disconnected from the rest of the world. I also just want to share a few statistics that I found that were so stunning and just kind of there just can be serve as a reminder of how challenging it is to deal with addiction. So in 2016, one in five deaths among young adults were opioid related. And in 2012, 3.3 million deaths or 5.9% of all global deaths were attributable to alcohol consumption. So you might not be someone who struggles with addiction but chances are you know someone who does or who has. And if you do, I hope this episode is helpful to you and potentially helpful to them. We also talk about codependence. So you don't have to be directly struggling with addiction to be struggling with some of the um, threads that surround it. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but that's what I'm going to go with for now. If you enjoy this episode and you enjoy the podcast regularly, please will you consider writing a glowing iTunes review, a five-star iTunes review, or sharing it on any of your social media feeds. Those two things are the best ways to help support the podcast right now in terms of sharing it with others and making sure that others can find it. Okay, enjoy the interview with Nikki. So Nikki, thank you so much for being here today. I feel like I know you, even though we haven't met in person, because I worked at Yoga Journal for some time when Caitlin Quisgard was the editor, and she was so fond of you. She always just had nice things to say about you and was fascinated by your work. And I I was always surprised that we never crossed paths, like you and I never crossed paths during my time there. I mean, I did so many things and was in and out with Yoga Journal. I'm really surprised as well that we never crossed paths. I know, I know. But I'm so happy that 
the amazing Sean Korn was, was willing to, to introduce us. I'm grateful to her. She's always so generous with like everything. So that's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, and she interviewed you for a yoga journal, um, series last year, right? Yeah. Game but, changers. Game changers. But you've been friends for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've been friends for 15 plus years. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I want to get into your work and your story. And I think it would just be so helpful for people to know your own personal experience. You are the founder of uh, an organization called Y12SR. And I will obviously I will read your you do a whole bio for you in the intro to the podcast, but I just thought it would be great to start at the beginning in terms of giving people context for why you started this organization. And if you could share some of your own story of struggling with addiction and recovery. Absolutely. And the truth is the two things are very connected. It really all came out of my own lived experience in in this thing we call addiction. And, you know, I usually always do this. I start out, I don't care where I'm speaking or what I'm doing. You know, I say the same thing. I used to always say that if I was speaking at Harvard Medical School, I'd introduce myself this way. But last year, I really had the opportunity to speak at Harvard Medical School. Good for you. That's awesome. Amazing. It really was amazing. They're looking at, you know, this the scope of the problem. And that it has become such a pandemic. It's really forcing even organizations like Harvard Medical School, which are are really steeped in a medical model. This problem, though, is beginning to have people look outside the box. And that's a really great thing. It's a great thing. That's amazing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, like I, I was sort of digging up some some research online before this interview and looking at the Department of Health and Human Services and even the things that they are talking about, they're addressing more of the emotional component of, of these issues, which is amazing. And they have to. You know, hopefully this will be an entry, even so that Western medicine mm-hmm. can take off some blinders. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just do more integrative work. And so I hate that it took this size of a problem mm. for this to happen. And I'm grateful that it's it's beginning to happen in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did you introduce yourself at Harvard Medical School? <laughs> I say, I'm Nikki. My name is Nikki and I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a codependent. I'm the survivor of both childhood and adult sexual trauma. Mm. I'm a love addict. I'm a recovering debtor spender. And and then I always stop there and say, that's really the biggest word that we're going to even talk about through, throughout any conversation. It's the and, right? That, that, that little connective word there. And so then I say, and I'm a yoga therapist. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm the founder of this organization called Y12SR. And that stands for the Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. And I'm the founder of that organization. I'm an MBA. I am uh, the mother of 
two living and one deceased child. I'm the grandmother of five. I'm actually a great grandmother. I have two beautiful great grandchildren. <gasps> Stop. <laughs> You're kidding me. Wow. Not kidding you. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, right? And I love saying all that in the same sentence. Mm. I love connecting that with the and. I am all these things. One of the things this, this journey has really pointed out for me is that when I deny, ignore, repress one part of myself, and then I'll praise and honor and applaud another part of myself, then what I do is create a split. There's a split inside. And with that split, there's this internal war that begins to happen. Right. And and number one, that's the antithesis of yoga. Mm -hmm. Yoga means integration, it means wholeness, it means union. Right. So that split itself is the antithesis of yoga. And it causes so many problems inside. Like I said, there becomes this internal war that goes on. Mm -hmm. So part of the process for me has been this reintegration right? The reintegration of all parts of myself, that there are no parts that are bad, awful, and wrong. There just aren't, right? They're mm -hmm. all a part of me. The, I, I, I love, there, there are two quotes or, or really things around this that I love to reference. One is the Rumi poem, the Sufi poet Rumi. And he had this, this writing that was called The Guest House, and, you know, oftentimes, particularly yoga teachers will read the guest house and the line and what he's speaking to, he's, he's actually speaking to emotions. And he says, you know, sadness may come to the door or anger may come to the door. Right. And then the line in the poem I love, it says, meet them at the door laughing and come and entertain them all. Mm. You will entertain them all. And he points out because they may be clearing you out for some new delight, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's what this process has been for me, the reintegration of all parts of myself that really allows me to do the work that I do in the world today. It's out of that that this work is there. Mm -hmm. And the other quote around this I really like comes from Mahatma Gandhi. And he said something like, he said, your, your imperfections and failures are as much a gift from God as your successes and talents. And then he said, I lay them all at God's feet. So I don't get attached to any of them, right? I lay them all at God's feet. And, and that's what this recovery process has been like for me. And, you know, I've been through it. With, with the whole thing. The 12-step program, you know, and talking about addiction, talks about addicts will usually go through something like what they speak of as jails, institutions, and death, right? Hmm. And I usually say, I know all of those. I know all of those. Jails and institution, that's pretty self-explanatory. And the death is, you know, I, I still see, and we're seeing them in the thousands now, right? In 2017, the just from the opioid crisis, this is the opioid crisis alone, 72,000 people in the United States. Mm. 
I know, 72,000. And so that's up another at least 25% from the year previous, which was up 20% from the year previous to that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, I mean, it's just, it's incredible, this whole thing. And so I've seen wonderful, incredible, brilliant, you know, witty, amazing people around me die from this disease of addiction. And, you know, and I talk about this too. It was also the death of my own soul. I, I walked into the rooms of a 12-step program in, in really in 1987 was the first time. And by that time, domestic violence, uh, at one point in time, I was a commercial sex worker. So I was in the whole prostitution game, right? Addiction had taken me all the way down that, that path. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I usually say the way I describe it is I paid a pretty high price to live a pretty low life, right? Mm -hmm. What was going on for me at that point in time. And then in 1987, I found the 12-step program. And I'm so grateful for that. Still a big part of of my life, right? When I walked in those rooms, I really did find people who loved me till I could learn how to love myself. Mm -hmm you know, could barely put a sentence together when I walked in those rooms. And the folks there just took me in and cared for me until I could really stand, uh, at least begin to stand on my own two feet. Mm. And so my first eight years in recovery was a lot of that. It was, it was really recovering a lot of things that I had lost. Within that eight-year period, I went back to school, and that was when I finished my undergrad degree. And then I went on and got did a, a graduate work. I got an MBA, and it was interesting because I, I got I got straight A's. On my undergrad degree, I got straight A's. And then when I went to do the graduate work, I got one B. Wow. And I know, and I'm still <laughs> holding a little bit of a resentment with this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. I, and, and I only say that to say, you know, part of that for me was at least, you know, a record in the recognition that I there was at least some gray matter still working up there after all the things that we had done. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a funny way to look at it. I would never have thought that, but okay. Because I had done everything to totally destroy it, right? Yeah, yeah. So at least there were some things going on up there, at least academically and sure. intellectually. Sure. Right? So after eight years, you know, in this process, and then I got my children back. I've been separated from my children. Mm. And children back, you know, within, within that period. So lots of great things started happening. Really, mm. really great things started happening in life. I found during the course of this, I had an aptitude for software. Now, I will say that's gone. I don't have it anymore. Because it's like rapidly changed a million times over in the past two years. Oh, my God. Yeah. Does it change quickly? So that's totally gone. But I did at that point in time. And I was working for a software company. And just 
making a long story short, it's relevant, but uh, I'm just going to make it short. They sent me on a, a business trip over to Germany and, you know, everything that could have gone wrong, there were other things going on in the background, but everything that could have gone wrong went wrong on, <laughs> on that business trip. And I finally arrived to the destination. I was supposed to do a workshop that, that evening. I didn't get there till late. And by the time I got there, the conference, the participants in the conference were eating dinner and the entree had already been served. Hmm. Well, by the time I got there, you know, this comes from the 12-step program. They'll tell you, don't let yourself get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? Because you're bound to make bad decisions when when those stakes occur. That is brilliant. I'm going to teach my daughter that. Like, that's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Yeah, those are like triggers for everyone. Yeah, the yeah. acronym is HALT, right? Yeah. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And I love that too, because it, it is true. I become a different person when I'm hungry, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Our whole family does, actually. And I think hungry for our family is the worst. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I arrived at this conference, really all four of those, all four of those were going on. And so I got there and what was being served was dessert. The entree had already been served and I was so hungry that I made a decision to go for it. And it happened to be orange sherbet that was in champagne, oh. right? Now I hadn't had a drink or drug in my body for some eight years. And the story is that night I went back to my room in uh, that happened to have a mini bar in it. And I mean, I drank everything in the mini bar. I drank like Denzel Washington drank at the end of the movie Flight. Flight was a great movie. <laughs> Right. It depicted alcoholism better than I think I've ever seen on film. Mm. Right? And so I did that whole thing. I got up the next morning. I did the workshop, did the things that I was there to do. But I never went back. I was living in Boston at the time. and I, I didn't go back to Boston. Instead, I took a flight to Amsterdam. Oh, brilliant. brilliant right. And in Amsterdam, the reason I love to tell this story is that in Amsterdam, I morphed back into the person that I had been some eight years old earlier. Hmm. I knew exactly where to go, exactly how to talk, exactly who to become, you know, everything necessary in order to get my drug of choice in a foreign country. Right. And and that blows my mind. Yeah. I even talk about it. And, you know, the way we relate this a lot in in Watch Over Star and talk about things like this is and connected to the yogic perspective is that that's samskara. Right. That's habitual conditioning. It's patterning. It's all those things that are there. They're in there, right? Because those are a part of my experience. Mm -hmm. They're a part of my experience. So those are patterns, habits, conditioning that's there, that's there. And, you know, in that circumstance, I morphed right back into the person, to that person. 
And, you know, I think about that. The, the Yoga Sutras talk about two kinds of yogis. I think this is Yoga Sutra one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's a Yoga Sutra it's in the first part of the Yoga Sutras. And it talks about two kinds of yogis. One is, they speak of as Bhava Pratyaya. And those are those yogis that, you know, this is, for me, I think of these as the Jesus and the, and the Buddha and, you know, maybe Krishna, you know, that level of yogi, right? Mm-hmm. And they say that they are come in equipped and ready and they have everything that they need in order to reach the highest levels of samadhi, right? The highest levels of that. And then there's what's called the upaya pratyaya, right? And that is, folks, I know that I'm in that category. And what that means for me is I got to have a strategy. I got to have a plan. Mm -hmm. I need tools. I got to do the work. Mm -hmm. I got to do the work. And that work is, is not something that stops, right? It's not something like I can't say that, you know, I'm enlightened, Right. Because it's like it's one of those things for me that once you think you got it, you've lost it. Right. <laughs> right. And so I got to I know that I'm that kind of yogi. So I'm that kind of person. So I got to keep doing the work. Right. In this first relapse for me, it was kind of like, you know, I did that. I got that. I've come so far. I got these degrees. I got my kids back. You know, I got this. Hmm. <laughs> and I ended up right back where I was. I stopped really doing the work and I ended up right back where I was. And that was a big one for me. Yeah. It was really, really a big one. Yeah, that must have been an, a crazy experience. How, were you doing yoga at the time of that relapse? Did you have, you had the 12 steps to go back to? Did you also have the refuge of a yoga practice? I did not at that time. So that gets to the next part of this whole thing, which is great. So I get back finally, you know, after reaching out for some help, I get back to the States and back to Boston. And it was there really that I was reintroduced to yoga. I had been introduced to yoga in the 70s. And really, you know, there was something that was seeded in, in me then. Right. I knew that there was something there, but possessions and power and, you know, money and all those things took a higher priority. Mm -hmm. But I knew that there was something there. So when I got back after that relapse, I found yoga again. And at first it was in Boston. At first it was a a, a Bikram yoga practice, a a hot yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, that reunited me with something. And then I found Ashtanga and I fell in love with the Ashtanga practice. Absolutely fell in love with the Ashtanga practice. Had a beautiful, wonderful Ashtanga teacher in Boston. And she introduced me to a lot of books and a lot of the philosophical study. And she would every year go over to India and study with Patabi Joyce. And she was, she used to, to do some work in a, for lack of a better word, underserved, under-resourced school, middle school 
in Boston. Mm -hmm. And when she would go away, I would suck at that middle school. And it was then that I really fell in love with yoga because I saw the effect that this practice had with those kids. The school administrators would love it when I came. Mm -hmm. They would say things like, you know what? Two hours after, at least two hours after you go, we noticed that these kids have a different level of focus. That's that, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I, that was when I started getting really curious about the philosophy and, and, you know, just reading everything I could find. And as I was reading, one of the first books I read was The Heart of Yoga, right? And as I, as I was reading, what I discovered is many of the things that I was reading in, in The Heart of Yoga sounded a whole lot like the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. I turn a page, I go, wow, that sounds like the 12-step program. I turn another page, I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like the 12-step program. I kept doing this over and over again. And that was when I really got really curious, really, really curious about the whole thing. So as the story goes, I you know, get really involved in the yoga practice, seriously involved in yoga philosophy and practices. And then four years, and I decided at that point in time, well, you know, maybe I don't need the 12-step program. Maybe I don't need that, right? And so I just started doing yoga. And then four years after the first relapse, I relapsed again. Hmm. I did it again. I did it again. And it was after that last relapse that I made the connection that at least for someone like me, that I need both. I need both these things. And they needed to be directly connected. I couldn't put one in one box and the other in, an, in another. That they had to be integrated. Yeah. That's the, the cognitive work that I was doing and that is done in the 12-step program needed to be connected for me with the somatic work that I was doing based in my body. In, in yoga, right? That those two things needed to be connected and joined. And it was really out of that, that this whole thing, Y12SR was born. It came out of that. Our, one of the big, really guiding themes of Y12SR is that the issues live in our tissues. Mm. And so the idea is it's one thing to, to find relief at the cognitive level, but there's a whole nother level of level that's held in our bodies that also needs to be addressed and released. And so it came out of that and my own experience with that, that this whole thing, Y12SR was born. So it all comes directly. And like I said earlier, I'm still, still very connected with the 12-step program. I say the 12-step program has been my lifeboat. It's actually absolutely been a lifeboat with me. I heard my, one of my teachers use this phrase one time, and it's, this is the way it applies. It is my lifeboat. And yoga has been my launching pad. Yoga has taken my recovery to a level that I never even had any idea was possible. It just took it to a whole nother dimension. And I'm so grateful for that. And now, since that last relapse, it's been 18 years. It's wow. been 
15 years since. The, and for me, I assert that it's this combination that has made all that. And for people I work with, I work with thousands of folks and I see the same thing apply. Mm-hmm. That it's this connection that provides a whole nother level for sustainability of recovery, of addiction recovery. It's sustainability. Yeah. You talked about it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could unpack it for me a little bit more because I haven't ever been to a 12-step meeting, although I think about going, sometimes I think about going to, to a CODA meeting, which I think is similar. What do you think for you, or you could either answer for your own experience or what you see in your students, what are the aspects that yoga provides that the 12 steps don't, and, and vice versa. I'm really curious. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And before I go there, I want to just say a little bit, you mentioned CODA, right? Which is Codependence Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things we do in Watch Over Star is we really look to address the issue of codependency. I assert that really that codependency is close to the root of any addiction, of any, I don't care what the addiction is. If it's, you know, a substance or if it's a behavior, codependency is at the root. And and we define code, it's a funny word. And it's one of those words that, for, for lack of a better word, has become very bastardized. Everything gets start throwing in the codependent bucket, and then it's hard to have a real clarity about what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And the way that we work with it in Y12SR is we call codependency the disease of the lost self, mm-hmm. right? And we say that anytime I look outside of myself for something that could only come from the inside, then I'm in a codependent relationship with whatever that is, right? And given that definition, because that's definitely what I did with alcohol and drugs, I looked for something from the outside to feel what could only come from the inside, right? That's with alcohol and drugs, and that one's pretty obvious. Yeah. I could also be in a codependent relationship. I always say I've been in a codependent relationship with Nordstrom's. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are, I, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I love that definition because, because you can be searching for, I think, so many codependents. And this, this was my personal experience, just given certain aspects of the way I was raised. And it's not something I talk about really publicly because I don't want to hurt anyone who is still living. You know, it can end up being a search for validation constant search for validation, constant search for love and approval. And that, it can be just as insidious. Oh my goodness, is it just as insidious. And, you know, not just, we talked a little bit about Simskara a little bit earlier. Simskara can also get created culturally, right? Mm, Totally, yes. So that's what happens. We get conditioned and, and a lot of times this particularly, it also happens with men, but it's real easy to see how it happens with women, right? <laughs> you know, you we get conditioned that yeah. we need to be this way, or girls don't do this, 
boys do this, but girls don't do this. You know, you know, and so we get conditioned that way. And that sets up this need for validation, this need for searching outside of myself for what I lost, yeah. you know, in that acculturation in that way. And also, like, I mean, one of the things that's kind of fascinating to me about addiction is that you can have, like, there was no one in my family who had an active substance abuse issue. But yet, like, I think there was before in previous generations. So that legacy can live on behaviorally. Like you're saying with the samskaras, like, like I, it's just, um, and I, when I think about the epidemic in this country, it's like so clear that just like the way that we don't pay attention to the emotional self and we don't, it's like, it's not taught. It's not, it's like self-reflection. And like you said, this concept of integration and feeling whole, like it's, it's just like, it's, it's, it's sort of not taught. And so it just, the legacy just kind of continues until someone stops it. Exactly. You know how the ancients talk about, this is in the Kateria Upanishad, where it speaks of, we're not one body, but they're five bodies, right? And they, they speak of those as the structure, the physical body, that there's the energy body or emotion energy. There's the mental body, the intellect. There's the character, right? And then there's the heart, the spiritual heart, right? Well, we seem to be a culture that has elevated the the intellect to God. Mm -hmm. And then, and we kind of ignore really or make the the those other bodies subset to the to the intellect. And that Yogi said no. Right. That these are that says when we're whole and balanced and integrated, that there really is a sense of of connection. There's a sense of of wholeness between and among all five of those bodies, Mm -hmm. five of them. Right. And that's when we walk in a sense of wholeness. Right. And so and, and we're a culture that elevates one so much over the other that the over the others that you know it's easy to become imbalanced mm-hmm. when i was imbalanced according to the yogis that's when the system opens it up and it's very easy for disease dysfunction disharmony all the disses can now enter into the system because it's, it's no longer in its wholeness mm-hmm. right and so i think in this whole conversation about addiction, that that's one of the things that needs to be, that has to be recognized, that this, the solution's not going to come from just addressing one aspect, right? It's got to come from really something that presents sustainability Mm. across all five of those bodies, all five of the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had the second relapse and you went back to the 12 steps, like what, what did that give you that the yoga practice didn't, is it the community aspect of it? Oh, definitely. That's one of the great things, the 12 step programs out. There is a sangha 
right? There's a 12-step sangha. And so that is definitely one of the great things. But what it also does, the 12-step program, is it gives you a very structured way, right, to look at really the purpose of the 12 steps is to really begin to embody the spiritual principles that sit underneath them, right? Underneath each step, the idea is to really begin to get to and embody, to walk in the spiritual principle that sits underneath it. For example, under the first step, the spiritual principles of acceptance and awareness are there, right? The part of the first step of the 12-step program, which says, you know, I admit that I'm powerless over whatever this substance or behavior is, whatever the addictive substance or behavior is, and that my life has become unmanageable, right? And the part of that, it makes us, it, it, it has us, offers us this way to tell the truth. Right. Because you cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. Mm. There's no way to heal what you don't acknowledge. Right. So part of the first step is once you acknowledge that it's really not about powerlessness. Right. It's that admitting what's true so that what happens underneath that is an empowerment. Once I tell the truth, there's an empowerment there. It allows answers. I become no longer this closed system, right? Where I'm not open for support. I'm not open for help. I'm not open for something bigger, right? But once I tell the truth, right? There's an empowerment that allows things to open up and be revealed that I never even thought of within my own, you know, limited brain area, right? And so the idea of the steps is to get at the spiritual principles that sit under them. And what we find is that those spiritual principles look a whole lot like the yamas and niyamas, right? They, they look a whole lot like the, the yamas and niyamas. So there's one connection, if you will. They look a whole lot like those. And one of the things that the 12 step, I would assert, offers yogis, Right is a very structured way to begin to look at whether or not I'm really walking my talk. I mean, I've been around yoga and the yoga community, whatever the hell that is. I don't even know what they're (laughs) (laughs) But I've been around this thing for for a while. and, And out of that, there's so many times I've seen a, a lot of instances where you can talk the talk, right? But the walk is very different than <laughs> what's that? There's an incongruency. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so what the 12 step offers is a very structured way, right? With questions, with answers, with support and all of those kinds of things. That to look at, you know, to, to be able to tell myself the truth, am I really walking my talk? Mm. So I think that's an offering, if you will, that the 12 steps can offer to yoga and yogis. So, and, and, and I almost think that that's a really, really, really beautiful thing, a really beautiful. I often will assert 
that I would think that the 12 steps are as much for yogis as yoga is for the 12 steps. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Really do. And ultimately, Andrea, I assert really in, in many ways, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras is saying almost in, in a certain way, the same thing that the founders of the 12 step program, Dr. Bob and Bill W were saying, I believe that what they did was narrow some things so that it could look at the problem domain that was in front of them, which was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's interesting because there are over 200 different kinds of 12 step programs, right? There's a there's a hoarders anonymous, huh. right? There is there are over two hundred different kinds. There is actually a racist anonymous. Wow, right? Because the principles apply. Yeah, across, yeah. You can they can be taken and applied across any almost any domain, right? And so I assert that that what the founders of the 12-step program did is narrow it, but at its heart, Patanjali was saying the same thing as it's really described in the model from the Yoga Sutras called the Kleshas, right? And the Kleshas, this starts about Yoga Sutra 2-4 in, in there, and the Kleshas are called the seeds of disconnection. They're seeds. They're the seeds of disconnection. And, and the root of that tree, and this is one of those things, the first time I saw it, I saw it in the heart of yoga. And I'm like, oh my God, hmm. this, is, this is the same thing, right? The, the root of the tree, according to the ancients, is avidya. Avidya means, you know, misperception. It means false understanding, right? Those things. And, and Patanjali said, it's out of that root that all disconnection, right? All all disconnection evolves out of this root of false understanding. And if you really look at it, I would assert that, you know, really what he's saying is that we all get addicted to the way we process our reality. We all get addicted to our own thought patterns, to our own things and we all get addicted to the way we process our reality. Mm. And one of the things that yoga offers, right, is this pathway. What, and, and again, that's one of those things that once I admit it and once I recognize that, that yes, mm. you know, I am addicted to the way. Now that I admit that, it's the same as the first step. A possibility opens up. Right. I can move beyond it, but I can't do that till first I tell the truth about it. Right. 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 <laughs> it's amazing how telling the truth is like, it's so, it's like such a burden lifted that it opens that space for another possibility.
um, since we sort of mentioned it earlier, um, I'm really curious about to hear your thoughts on the opioid on the opioid crisis and that specific addiction. I know it's like a very tricky addiction because it seems like it comes on so quickly. Do you think that that the 12 steps also work for that type of addiction? Yeah, and I think it takes more than this is I assert again that what's what's necessary is a sustainable platform for addiction recovery. You need a lot of tools in this thing. And the cognitive pieces of the 12-step program can be one. Now, I'm not saying that that's one for everyone. It may not be for, for everyone. And I'm not asserting that that's the only cognitive piece. It is a cognitive piece, right? And I'm not asserting that that's the only one. I combine Y12SR with the 12-step program, number one, because that's my path. And one of the things my teacher told me is don't teach what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And and this one I've got deep experience with. And the other thing that I really love about it is that it's open and free to anyone, right? That you don't have to have a lot of money, Hmm. right? In order, you go in, what the... 12-step meetings are generally held in church basements and you they pass it by donation and you put money in if you got it. If you don't, they'll always tell you you are more important than your money, hmm. right? And so it's not something that I have to have a great deal of financial resource in order to, to take advantage of. And the, a lot of times, the populations that I want to work with don't have money to go to big money treatment centers. Right, right, right. So this is something that's open and available to all. And and so that's another one of the reasons that I wanted to combine yoga with that. Yeah, that's awesome. And offer it in the same kind of way. All Y12SR classes are by donation. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. That's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and just operate in the same kind of way. Yeah. So I would, I was saying that to say, I assert that it needs to be a sustainable platform. And and really because we are bio individual beings that it doesn't look cookie cutter. It's not the same, right? It may not be the same. And again, addressing all five bodies, right? Um, you got to address the the physical. That means mm-hmm. you, you got to deal with nutrition, right? So you, you got to deal at some level. And I, I would assert that there is no standard food, nutrition, plan, diet for everyone, right? That we are vital individual, right? Some people can eat gluten and some can't. Right. right? It has to do with bio individuality, right? So you need something, though, regardless, something has to address, you know, the body that's made of food. right? <laughs> and so you, you, you got to deal with that. You got to deal with the energy body. You got to deal with all those. So I assert that, that a sustainable platform for addiction recovery really has tools in it 
to bring, again, that sense of balance and integration and wholeness across those five bodies. And the platform might look different from individual to individual. Does that make sense? So it makes such clear sense. Like I totally get it now. And you were saying earlier, you know, the idea is to embody the 12 steps and yoga clearly helps with that. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Exactly what happens. Yeah. Exactly what happens. So, when people, if someone wanted to come to a meeting, they don't have to have gone through the 12 steps separately before, right? They can start with you. Okay. Originally, the thought with Martovasar was to many, many treatment centers across, particularly the United States, which is where I am, right? Many treatment centers are based in, in the 12 steps. The you know, treatment center that I went to years ago was based in the 12 steps. And so the thought originally was for people to have a community-based place to go, you know, once they were out of treatment or in 12-step rooms that offered this combination of the cognitive and the somatic with the, with the yoga practice. Now, what I've seen it evolve to over the years is something different. While that that population still is very much a part of Watovasar, one of the things that I've seen is that people who, for whatever reason, you know, almost in, in some ways like me, who have become a little disenfranchised with the 12 step program and I'll say this, right? I'll say this outright. I say this in my in my trainings that you know, twelve step is not a regulated thing, right? So twelve step meetings can be not always the safest place, right? So, but I'll I'll say this too: neither can some yoga. True. You know? I mean, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. Feel. Neither can some churches. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's kind of universal. So, you know, you got to be careful, you know, within that domain, just like you would when you choose a church or when you choose a, a yoga practice in a meeting and a community, right, to be in. So it's the, the same kind of thing applies in, in the 12 step rooms. But what we'll often see is people that, for whatever reason, have become a little bit disenfranchised with the 12 step fellowship and and but they understand that there's a brilliance to those 12 steps and they want to come figure out a way back in mm. they want to figure out a way back in and so we see a lot of that population in Y12SR the other population we see a whole lot of which surprised the heck out of me we see yogis right they may have been practicing yoga or meditating for years. And all of a sudden they recognize that just, for example, the bottle of vodka that they drink every night is an impediment to their spiritual progress to where they were, and they can't quit and they cannot quit. See a lot of yogis now that are in that dilemma and they're very comfortable with the whole idea of yoga, don't know much about the 12 steps, right? That so makes they, sense. Because you, you just become so much more self-aware when you do yoga and you reflect on everything. And I can absolutely see that you might be like, huh, this isn't really working for me anymore, but I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's right. That's right. So we see a lot of that in the Watovisar rooms as well, which is really interesting. Yeah. You know, I had no idea that that would be, you know, that that even was a thing or a population, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's like this assumption sometimes we have about all of each other in the yoga community that if we're doing yoga, like we've got a lot of things figured out. And usually I always say like, we're doing yoga because we don't have things figured out. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. And then, you know, what we'll say all the time in 12 steps, our secrets keep us sick, mm. right? And so if I'm hiding it and repressing it and denying it and ignore it, then there's that split, right? Because on the outside, I'm presenting one thing. But on the inside, there's something else going on that I feel like I can't talk about or I can't, you know, I can't release. So I got a war that's going on inside me. Yeah. And that's the antithesis of yoga. Totally. Totally. You've done so much amazing work and you have now a training program, a teacher training program, and you have leaders all over the world, right? Not just the U.S., yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know that you have, um, obviously I'll put the the link to it on the show notes page. Like you have a location finder on your website. I'm wondering what other kinds of, of plans you have and like work you're doing in terms of getting this, you know, into, into a national conversation since we are at such epidemic levels in the U S. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talked to touch on this a, a little bit earlier. I, assert that that what we're seeing right in in all of us it it, it really is a spiritual crisis right and what i see in government efforts in the american medical association efforts in you know the pharmaceutical industry in in particular you know you're never going to have a pharmacological solution to a spiritual crisis Mm. it can. And that's not to say pharmacology is bad. Right. right? Not at all. Just a tool. Yeah. It's a tool. Unfortunately, we get a a lot of times we think that that tool is is somebody, when I was doing data years ago, they used used to use this phrase, a fool with a tool is still a fool. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I can use the tool very foolishly. I can use the tool to believe that that tool is the resolve and the tool is not the resolve, right? It may be relief, right? But we confuse relief and resolve. That's a lot of the talk. You ask me what I'm doing now. So I'm developing a lot of things around that, how often we confuse relief with resolve. And, and you can see that in many ways. I mean, you can escalate this thing, not just at a personal level, but it's the same thing across culture, across institution, an institutional level. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, like, like Patanjali says, we really all are addicted to our own thinking, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, the, our own thinking process, right? And and so I'm looking in, in my work now. I'm looking to broaden this definition of addiction, right? To broaden the whole thing so that we can look at it across culture, hmm. so we 
can look at it across institutions. So we can look at it in, in a whole nother way. Um, I mean, even take, for example, all, all the things that have happened, you know, that are characterized by the Me Too movement, right? Mm-hmm. I assert that that's an addiction to power. Yeah, that's so true. That is an addiction to power. Mm-hmm. And power is a big one to begin to have a conversation about relative to the dynamics that are going on in the United States right now, right? I see addiction to power playing out in all kinds of domains. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's, it's like, it's when you were saying earlier that the intellect is really rewarded in our culture, it's like, we're sending out the message in so many places in so many ways that, that power is the, you know, that, power is to be rewarded. That's right. That's right. We get confused. Yeah. We get really, really confused about that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And yet it's just so funny. It's like there was a study that came out a few years ago about people at the end of their lives and what they reflected on and what was important. And like power was not on the list. (laughs) It's like, we know this. Every human knows this. Every, every human knows this, but we forget. Right. Money's not there, uh-uh. right? No. <laughs> no, it's yeah. It's just like all the simple aspects of our humanity are the things that matter. That's right, and you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with money. There's right. Absolutely nothing wrong with money. Right. Not not saying that at all. Um, however, when I elevate it beyond everything else, we say yoga means balance. It means that this is something we look to teach a lot in the context of why Pobasar. And, you know, one of these, I do want to just make a little correction around about why Pobasar is that this thing has been so organic, right? It, it I, I don't even know how, how it happened, right? The whole thing happened. So it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to really to anyone. It has been this just grassroots thing that that I believe that that my job and my work is to hold a container for, hold space for, right? But it, oh my God, it's just the growth of it has been just phenomenal from that aspect. For me, so I mean, it's just been phenomenal. That's so, great. Yeah, so I just wanted to to really make clear that I can't take credit for nothing, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's not exactly true, but I, I understand the sentiment. I want to tell you, my brother-in-law, my my husband's brother, struggled with drug addiction when my very young, like he was about sixteen when it started. My husband was is eight years younger than him. So my husband was eight when he started dealing with this in the family. And Todd, my brother-in-law, it was very long struggle. You know, it was at least, I want to say 10 years. And he has an organization that is somewhat, in and there's certain parallels to the organizations. And I, I'm thinking I might have Todd on the podcast, even though it's not specifically a yoga organization. He has an organization, he lives in Ohio. It's called Racing for Recovery. And so it combines the 12 steps with running. <laughs> like basically they they train for 
Iron Man. The Iron Man together, they train for for all different kinds, all different levels and all different kinds of races. And so it's like, and it's basically, he's, it's grown and grown and grown over the years. And, you know, he feels like it's, it keeps him above water as much as everyone else that he works with. Exactly. We'll say in the 12 step program, you can't keep what you have without giving it away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's that, you know, sentiment behind it. You know, I, I, I do this because I cannot not. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yes. I, I, I get that. I have one more question, which is kind of a hard question. <laughs> I don't know if anybody could really answer it, but I have a young child. She's six. I have a lot of um, parents who are listeners. And I watch my brother-in-law. He has four children, varying ages. One of them's as old as in college. And in a certain way, like his children are super fortunate because they go to the meetings with him and they get to know people and they get to know the stories. And I'm pretty sure he mostly preaches abstinence in terms of substances with his kids. And I always wonder, like, how am I going, what, how am I going to talk about this with her and what is healthy and not healthy? And I was wondering if you have any, any thoughts about that in terms of our youth. One of the things, you know, I love about particularly the the yoga philosophy training and and all that stuff. My, my teacher says the answer to everything is it depends. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. But what I can tell you relative to that is how I can tell you how I've approached it in my family situation. Like I said, I've got, I've got kids and grandkids and all of those things. And one of the things that has been really, really helpful and successful in the families, in my family situation is again, explaining that addiction is a disease and showing, uh, we created these things, I, I do this, I've done intervention work and we create genograms, uh, which are, are models that can help us visually look at where this disease has touched over generations, right? And so that this, and I, you know, I always say that addiction is a chronic illness like other chronic illnesses. Diabetes is a chronic illness. High blood pressure is a, a chronic illness. Addiction affects the master controller of the entire nervous system. It affects the brain, right? And it has that disease component. Now, there's also choice component, right? But I can make that same argument about type 2 diabetes. I can make that same argument about high blood pressure, that there, there are choices that I make that contribute to that disease, right? And that that disease has a genetic component, right? So my grandkids, the great-grandkids are too young, and some of my grandkids are too young, but the older ones, I've got grandkids that are 27, 24, and 21. They've all seen the history. I would tell them this if it were diabetes. I would have this right. This runs in your family, 
Now, you know that. You have that information. I want you to make your choices based on the understanding that this runs in your family, right? So I'm giving them all the information that they need about the disease of addiction, about yoga, about all of this stuff. They're going to make the choices that they make, right? The I saw this sign in a health food store years ago, and it's been one of those, again, guiding principles. The two things you can really give your children, you can give them roots and you can give them wings, right? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And really, that's it. Yeah. That's, right. And we're deluding ourselves if we think we're going to control it or any of because you can't. Right. But I want to give them all the information. I want to give them all the tools up front. I want to give them all so that they can are equipped to make choices that support what they say is most important to them versus choices that are not life affirming or sustainable. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's so smart. And so, I mean, it's sort of like when you say it, it's so obvious, but I had never thought of that before. You know, I have suffered from depression on and off through my life. And I know that that's something I'm going to talk to my daughter about, like, so that she doesn't find herself in a hole and feel like it's all her fault and not know what to do. Like I'm going to equip her with the tools of, this is how it is. And right. so, yeah, that makes sense. It makes this, total sense. That's a, you know, a chronic situation, a disease too, yep. right? And because of that, and I know that that runs in my family, I can see it on this. I know it runs in my family. I mm-hmm. wish I had that information. But now I know that, that the choices that I make to sustain what I say is most important to me, it can't be that. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, it blows my mind, but there really are people who can drink, right? I'm just not one of them. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I know that this bio individual being is not just like some people can't eat gluten. Right. And some people can't do other things, right? My bio individual state is set up that that's disastrous for me. Mm -hmm. And what? I proved it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Is there, did, did I miss anything? Is there anything else you would like to add? I can't think of anything. You're a great interviewer. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. It was, it was wonderful talking to you. And I'm just like, I'm so moved by the work that you do and that you've done and that you will continue to do. And just thank you so much. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to get to know you. I can't wait till we meet face to face one day. That'll be great. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks as always for listening. I will put links to the Y12SR website and other resources on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 120. Nikki, I think she mentioned she does have a teacher training program. If you are a yoga teacher and you want to study to specifically teach her program, there's a two-part training program. It's part online and then part in person. So it's something to consider. Powerful training, I'm sure. Okay, until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm -hmm.